I'm Tiffany Mast, and I'm the owner of Becker's Hitching Post and Garrison. Hi, Hi I'm Ruby. And I'm Soren. We're the hosts of We Live Here Too, a podcast about the people and spaces of rural America. In this episode, we talk with a local bar and restaurant owner about what her business means to the community. Well, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. When did you take it over, the Hitchin Post? August of 2019. See, literally, like right before the pandemic. <laughs> but before that, you've been in the restaurant um, industry business for a long time, right? Yes. Could you tell us about that? Uh, my first waitressing job was when I was 17 at a little restaurant in Springville um, called Little Pigs. It's like where Sally's on Broadway is now. Oh, okay. So that's, yep. And I was there just a really short time. Uh, I was pregnant with my oldest boy and it just got to be too much. And, uh, but I've always like, even before that, I always worked at like a pizza Paul Revere's Pizza in Springville. I worked at Casey's. I sold sweet corn for Gary Knight all through high school. So everybody knows Knight sweet corn over there. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I did that all through high school. Even after I had Dane, I did that for the, my last summer after I had Dane. And so I've always just kind of waitressed and moved back to Vinton and uh, started waitressing there. I was at the old 218 Cafe. Uh, worked for Lori Arbuckle downtown, was this assistant manager at Lori's place in Vinton. For a couple years, and then went over to Jonesy's in Center Point, and I was there a couple years, and then moved away um, when I was pregnant with Tegan, my youngest, and um, lost my mother-in-law. So we moved to North English to help my father-in-law take care of his three girls that were still in high school, mm-hmm. and then uh, moved back to Vinton in 2012. Worked at Vinton Family for just a short while, and then went back to Jonesy's. So I was at Jonesy's from like back there from 2013 till. The week that we opened here, I was still at Jonesy's. Oh, in Center Point. Yeah, yeah. So and that Jonesy's is still they're still open, right? They are open. It's a new owners though. Okay. So when Debbie bought from Doug and Jeannie, that's when I decided to buy the bar. So you and Nick operate the bar, but you together, but you I I you manage it. and yep, yes, I own it. everything. Yep. yep. How many employees do you have here? Um, one, two. So I've got one full time employee besides Nick and myself. And then I've got a couple people that just come over and help out. Mm-hmm. So there's and like five of us, I think. When do you think this, we, we talked about this, but when do you think this first became a restaurant, a bar, an eating establishment? Um, I think it was like 68 or 69, somewhere in there. Like just from what everybody talks about, you know? Mm-hmm. Yes. But not really, I'm not a hundred percent sure. And before that, what else was this building? It was a chicken hatchery, and it was a car wash. <laughs> but not at the same time. Not, no, <laughs> not at the same time. <laughs> I think that's awesome. We are good. Thank you. Um, so do you think that the restaurant business has been everything that you – I mean, when you first started out at 17, waitressing, a lot of people have that story, but why did you stick with it? Um, I just really like people. I've always just – been I've always worked with people I guess it's just one of those things I worked at a factory for a really for a year before I moved back to Vinton and it was awful it was so awful like seeing the same people every day mm-hmm. like, I like different people like I like being able to see different people every day yes so do you think that's why a lot of people in small towns I mean go to their local bar their local restaurant Oh, yeah. And I think like around here, I have such a great farm community that they want to be able to 
keep this place alive because if we don't have this bar, this food, there's nothing. We've mm-hmm. lost everything. So, yeah, because other than you, Garrison, this small but mighty town, they have a good library. Yeah. Excellent library. Yep. But I mean, you've got the elevator. But what other businesses are there in Garrison? Um, Nick's mom is the hairdresser in town, mm-hmm. so we've got that. Um, I don't really, let's see, outside of town, I mean, we got a couple hog confinements, mm-hmm. but not. We've got the quarry. We've got the quarry. And that's, mm-hmm. we've got Dave Tiffany Construction. I mean, he lives here in town. I'm not sure if his company's based out of Garrison or if it's out of Vinton, but. Is What's the waste management? Oh, yeah, JNR, JNR Sanitation. Is this his yep, base? Okay. Yep, yep, he's based out of Garrison, so. Because he serves a lot of the county. Yeah. But, yeah, you are the anchor. Right, and so, like, uh, unlike a lot of towns, there isn't even, like, a gas station or a convenience store where people might pop in for coffee, so. Right. This is it. This is it. This is it. Do you feel a lot of pressure? Sometimes. Sometimes I do, but, mm-hmm. you know, I am I can handle it. I I accept complaints gracefully just because then I know what to do. Like, you know, a lot of people are like, no, I'm not changing it or no, I'm not doing this or no, I'm not doing that. No. I mean, if there's a complaint, please, you know, I'm always, please tell me, please tell me what's going on because I can't fix something if you don't tell me. So. Well, and everybody, I mean, even over in Benton, everybody knows the Hitch and Post. Right. Everybody has stories about the Hitch and Post. Um, we were talking about all the different owners yep. that have come before you. Um, this is a special place to a lot of people. And I was telling you about that story, um, about that business owner in Vinton who said that this is one of the the most fun places to go during a winter, like, snowstorm. Yep. To sit and have a drink at the bar and look out the windows yep. and watch the snow go down. Yep. Unfortunately, that doesn't happen much. <laughs> no, not. They all, right. like, hide out. Everybody hides out mm-hmm. and doesn't come out. But... We do get our snowmobilers that come through, and they'll sit in and stop in, coffee, hot chocolate, grab some food, a couple beers, whatever, you know, and get back on the trail. But, yeah, we, we've got a pretty good group of support systems around here. So, Well, and Nick um, said that one time to me that this year, 2020, you know, having to be open and shut, change everything about how you operate a business – the farming community has been really good to you yes. in this area, yes. picking up takeout yep. and trying to keep you open. Yep. Yep. I've got one farmer that has been really great and actually has ordered probably double, if not triple every month, just to make sure that we are able to stay afloat, which is great. Like they see that we're struggling and they pick it up. So, so do you feel like the community does recognize that, that you are a very important integral part of their I mean, rural community. Yes, yes, yep. Without you here, there would still be businesses, but I don't want you to go under. Right. You want to, because, and that's what I think is tough is a lot of people think, well, I don't want my local bar to go out of business because I want it to be there during those two or three times a month or even, you know, two or three times a year that I, I go over and hang out and have a drink and a good time and talk to the cool bartender that works there. <laughs> but then I think a lot of people seem to have it backwards this year that they don't get it. If we, if we don't throw a safety net under anchors like you, you're not going to be here on the other side. Right. Right. Hopefully that won't happen, but 
Hopefully. Can you tell us about this year, what 2020 has been like for you and Nick? Oh, geez. Up and down. It's actually, there's, I guess, so I lost my grandpa in May and we were shut down doing takeout. So um, every day we started March 17th, we started takeout. We would close between two and five. Mm -hmm. So every day I drove to Vinton to see my grandparents. So that is one thing I can say I'm thankful for because had I not been able to see my grandpa every day, I'd have a lot of regrets. Mm -hmm. So I wouldn't have seen him. And uh, So you had the time, you mean? Yeah. Because the time. of the shutdown. Yeah. Yes. And that was great. Because mm -hmm. there's many times I thought, I'm done. I'm done. We can't do this. There's no money. There's no, there's no hope. There's no light at the end of the tunnel. And then something happens and it's a really great week or a really great day. And people see that you're struggling and they come in and... So, you know, we, we're just not going to give up. We're just not going to give up. You are one of the strongest people <laughs> that I have met, I mean, in the last year, year and a half. And that's why I always, I feel like I always want to check in on Tiffany to make sure that the bar's still there. Because this is such an important um, town in Benton County. Garrison has a really rich history um, between the fire, getting hit so many times by weather events your amazing fire department, volunteer fire department, like one of the greatest in, in the state of Iowa, if not the Midwest. Um, and it seems like every, just about everybody in town either volunteers for the department or is connected to it somehow. Yes, yeah. yes. Because we've, we've knocked on most doors in town. <laughs> every door? Yes. Yeah, every door. And it, you're right, because at some point we'd be like, look, that car has a volunteer fire um, license plate, they must be fire too. Like yeah. everyone yep. is. Yes. Yeah. Nick's fire department mm -hmm. and yeah. Nick's dad and Nick's mom is part of the women's auxiliary and I help out. I do as much as I can, mm -hmm. you know, Good grief. 25, which is awesome because the town, are you like a population of, you're like around 300, right? That's amazing. Yeah. And I mean, you as a business, you do a lot of fundraisers. Four. Yeah, and we missed out on, like, everything this year. So because the fire department usually has their fun days dance down at the bar. Mm -hmm. And then the haunted house brings in a lot of business. So, like, this year we lost out on everything. I mean, even the fire department lost out on their spaghetti dinner, the, you know, pancake breakfast. They lost out on everything. Mm -hmm. So people have to think about that, too. Like, donate, donate to your local fire department especially your volunteer ones that have no funding. Like everything is based on their suppers, their dances, their cookouts, their fundraising. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's just so not only, you know, is it us struggling, it's EMS, it's firefighters, it's it's everybody, And they were all struggling even before COVID. Yeah. Because I remember I wrote a story for the paper about the Shellsburg Fire Department and how desperately they needed you know, a new facility, but I mean, you got to raise all that money yeah. because there's no earmarks for EMS yeah. um, through the local levies in Iowa. It is interesting to think about it like, like a small town bar or, you know, any type of small town business that's established and been there a while. It's not like it's just a weed that you pull out and there's no roots. Right. You know, it, you are connected to everything in this town. You pull it out and you're going to rip a lot of things with it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't think I think you guys had a record number at the fire department of fire calls last year, didn't you? This last year. So, you know, just think if we didn't have a fire department here, 
how far they'd have to come. Mm-hmm. Geyser, Vinton. Exactly. So, Laporte, that's crazy to think that. It is, and it's totally realistic that that could happen. Right. Because that's mm-hmm. the way everything is going yeah. in rural America. We're eroding away. We need to keep highlighting um, how important our small towns are um, to the general economy. And that actually then brings me to something else I wanted to ask you. So how do we bring people, you know, in tourism uh, to rural small town Iowa? I feel like the old Creamery Trail um, and other outdoor um, opportunities is one way to really get people to come to these towns. Yep, the bike trail helps us quite a bit in the summer. Um, We have a bunch of people that ride over from... Well, I actually had some people here this summer that stopped in, or it wasn't, it was after we had opened back up that were here from Chicago. And I just kind of chuckled because they were outside and the daughter and the son-in-law came in to grab a couple of bottles of water. And she said, mom's outside locking the bikes up. She's so worried somebody's going to steal them. And I just started laughing. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, where are you guys from? They're like, Chicago. I said, oh, well, we're in like a town of 350 people and that's the last thing you have to worry about. Okay, so this is kind of controversial, but I really do want to know your opinion. So what is your opinion on raising the minimum wage in Iowa as a small business owner? Well, as a small business owner, you know, it wouldn't be that bad because I actually pay my employees over minimum wage. Mm -hmm. But, um, well, a couple of them, I guess. Like Morgan, she's my... Man, you know, my kitchen manager. So, yes. of course, she makes more. You know, people have to understand, though, if that happens, like, the cost of food is going to go through the roof. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the thing. Like, and it depends on, I don't even know what they're talking because I honestly, I've heard some places are going up to 15 bucks an hour, which is crazy. But you got to think, like, places like California, yes. of course, $15 an hour is, it, it needs to be because cost of living is so mm-hmm. high out there. Here, you know, if it was 9 or $10, it wouldn't be so bad. It wouldn't affect us a whole lot. Which would be okay, yes. you know, for a fair wage. But um, I was always a waitress, so I made tips. So I think I lived on four thirty-five an hour for the last twenty years of my life, pretty much. Which is insane. But I mean, what is the the wage right now for so servers? Is it four thirty-five? That's what it is right yep. now. Yep. And I started. I think I made the first place I worked. It was actually seven twenty-five when I worked at Little Pigs. They paid us seven twenty-five plus our tips, and we were really busy there. Mm-hmm. Um, Really great in Springville, small community, great people. Um, and then when I waited tables at 218 in Vinton, it was like 290. It was crazy because that's what server minimum wage was then, but mm-hmm. it was only like 535 an hour for minimum wage or whatever mm-hmm. it was, you know. And then I worked downtown for Lori and I made six bucks an hour plus my tips because I was the assistant manager, so I made more. And then when I went over to Jonesy's, it was four thirty-five, so it's like a percentage of minimum wage because you've got your tips. And mm-hmm. but I made really good money over there, so yes, because they're pretty busy. Every time I've ever eaten there, they've been busy. Oh yeah, I have had more than one person tell me this, and they say it in a very offhand way. But um, so during the campaign, when I would talk about losing, you know possibly losing bars like yours um, because of COVID and going out of business. And several people, different people at not together would say to me, well, you know, that's just the way it is, especially with, you know, restaurants or bars or small businesses in small towns and somebody else will just pick it up and reopen it again. And that just like crushed me Mm -hmm. that, that they just, they can just so offhandedly, you know, just say, 
that that business wasn't everything to the people that owned it. Right. Um, if someone said that to you, how would you respond? And I know you'd be very diplomatic about it, but. Oh, it would be really hard. I'm not a my tongue kind of person. I'm generally a no filter, mm-hmm. you know, but it's true. I mean, it is true in a lot of, in a lot of aspects, whether or not, like say, not even in Gerson. And mm-hmm. that was, you know, that was a big determining factor. We'd been kick. I'd been kicking around the idea. Kenny and Molly put it up for sale like in May. And I was like, oh man, that's a lot, it's a lot of work. Do I have, do I have the time for that? Do I want the stress and the headache? And then Mm -hmm. Tegan decided he wanted to move to dad's. And I said, I'm in, Mm -hmm. like, I've got all the time in the world now, you know, being not part-time mom. I'm not going to say that because I'm full-time mom no matter what, but you know, he's here in the summer now versus being here in the school year. Mm -hmm. I get to enjoy different things with him. So I'm like, May as well, instead of killing myself for somebody else and working all the hours that I'm going to work just because I don't have a kiddo at home anymore, I'm just going to do it. I called Nick, and my bosses had sold Jonesy's, and I called Nick that night. I left work upset, crying, because they like told us two weeks, three weeks before that they were done. Mm-hmm. And they'd known all year, but that's yeah. okay. Like I totally understand. They didn't want their whole, all their whole staff to quit and yes. then have to replace it. Like right. I get it. Like right. I totally get it. Like as an owner, I get it. Um, now I do, but I was so heartbroken and I called Nick just crying on my way home and I'm like, we got to figure something out. I need the books from Kenny and Molly. I need to look at it and see. And I'm like, may as well. Why not? Like, let's try it. Let's just do it. So, but you know, like places in Benton, when Lori, when Lori stopped, the Mexican restaurants there now. So like somebody else picked up, put a mm-hmm. restaurant there. Um, the old A Avenue tap in Bitten. I see there's a new eatery. It's like Jay's eatery or something yes. that just went in mm-hmm. there. So even though that hasn't, that's been sitting empty for a couple of years. I mean, Jolly Rogers was there before yep. and I think there was a water place before. So there's, it, I feel like there's always something that comes in to replace it. Not mm-hmm. necessarily has to be the same exact thing, but that comment I almost feel like is the truth, un- unfortunately, but it's you like know. a really hard, awful truth. Yeah. yeah. And I wanted to say mean things when they said those things. But yeah. yeah. But I mean, yeah. I mean, at first you're like, oh, forget you, dude. But I mean, it's honestly <laughs> the truth. So you can make it through 2020. Damn, you should be able to make it through anything. That's what I said. Yes. That's what yeah. I say. Mm-hmm. I'm like, and I keep looking at my books and I'm like, you know, I'm kind of right on track to what I was thinking that we were going to, you know, we're not making any money by any means. Mm-hmm. Everything that comes in is 100% going out. Yep. I'm going to lose money. Everybody's going to lose money this year. Clearly, it's not as bad as I thought it was going to mm-hmm. be. You know, yeah, I've had to use, I've, I've wiped out my savings. I cashed in everything I have, like bought a cheaper car after I totaled my car just so I didn't have that huge payment in life, you know, just Mm -hmm. I've done everything I possibly could do to make sure that I can try to make this a go. Yes. Thank you for doing all of that. Oh, seriously. And I don't even live in Garrison, but like, I want, I want our small towns to make it to the other side of this because we were already hit so hard just in general. Yeah. And I don't know. If we would get shut down again, I don't know that we would make it because mm-hmm. this last this last bout was when we closed at 10. I went to take out for a couple of weeks just because people weren't understanding, no, you can't sit at the bar. Yes. No, you have to sit at your table. Mm-hmm. Just sit down and do what you're supposed to do. Like you're not, you're jeopardizing me. Mm-hmm. This isn't affecting you. If the state comes in and sees you sitting at my bar, I'm getting a $1,000 fine, not you. Mm-hmm. And that's just the first time. 
you know, the second time they take your licensing for a week, the third time they take your licensing permanently. Like this is my livelihood, not yours. Like exactly. you want to not follow the rules, go open up your own place and mm-hmm. do whatever you want. Yes. So. Right. And it's, it really seems like there should be consequences for everyone. Right. 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 If state walks in, it shouldn't be me getting the fine. You're grown adults. You should, you know better. Exactly. Like, just, we've been doing this for almost a year now. Just, just do it. Mm-hmm. Right Nobody likes it. We don't like wearing masks. My face is breaking down. Mm-hmm. My skin is horrible. Just like the next person. Just do it. It's right. But, it's, you know, there's, I don't, I don't want to get too political here, but you know, there's a lot of talk about people who are opposed to wearing masks being, you know, an infringement on their freedom. But it sounds like what you're talking about is that people walking into your bar, not wearing them are jeopardizing your freedom to run a business. Exactly. And to have a livelihood. Yep. Yep. And they're being selfish, mm-hmm. you know? I can't say that I was always good about wearing a mask in the beginning because I wasn't. Mm-hmm. It was horrible. I finally was like, I'm buying a box. They're staying in my van. And then I'll remember just because it is something hard to get used to. But we've been doing this since March now. Like, stop, stop jeopardizing my life. Mm-hmm. You know? yeah. And I mean, nobody, nobody likes to wear a mask. Nobody does. No. They don't have to. But, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Go home then. Stay at home. Don't wear a mask in your house. Like, run around your own house. Mm-hmm. Go do your own thing. Exactly. At the very beginning, like back in March, April, May... I remember talking to you. I mean, and I don't, you know, everything is just snowballed out of control. Like we're a viral wasteland now everywhere. But it does seem like at the beginning, it really maybe would have helped if we just smacked it down. And you and I have talked about that right away. Like for two, three weeks. And, you know, that got our kids back in school and been able to keep our small businesses, you know, open. But Yeah, and I I think that, I think if we would have just shut everything down, you know? I mean, obviously, places have to stay open. Your grocery stores mm-hmm. and stuff have to stay open. So it, it's it's like, what do you, what really would have worked? What really would work? Mm-hmm. Give everybody three weeks to get some groceries here. This is your limit. This is what you can have. This should get you through for three weeks. Mm-hmm. This is what you're getting. Go home. Stay home. Don't come out of your house. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then maybe it would be different. We've joked, um, Soren and I, that, like, if Tiffany had been governor... Damn, a lot of things would have been different. <laughs> oh, yeah. It would have been a different world for sure. <laughs> like, seriously. We'd all been getting drunk at the bar. No. Well, no, but. No. Yeah, exactly. We'd be would, living life now. Yeah. You wouldn't have been trusting people to do the right thing. No. You'd have been saying, no. You will this do is, the right this, thing. This is what's happening. Does that mean I'm bossy? No. It means you know how to run shit. Like, seriously. God. I, I'd, I'd say it shows uh, some leadership. <laughs> <Yeah>. Perfect. Exactly. <laughs> so, this is just kind of an existential question, but what would you like people to know, um, you know, anybody who's listening to this, about your business, about your community? You know, if you could tell people about Garrison. Oh, Garrison is a nice, quiet little town. It mm-hmm. really is. I mm-hmm. mean, you got your ornery teenagers that <laughs> like to do burnouts and drive their four-wheelers around town like crazy. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, <laughs> As she motions to her partner, yeah, who is not an ornery teenager. Um, but but it's not. <laughs> who gets mistaken as my son, by the way. He does look super young, though, Nick. I know. I He does. That's okay. Um, it's it, good it to happens. be youthful, man. But, but Garrison is not a town on a main highway. Right, right. We're off so the beaten path. You, yeah, so you kind of have to intentionally come here. Right, mm-hmm. right. And it's, you know, it's a, it is a great town. We have great farming community, like great, just great people. Anybody here is pretty willing to help you. I mean, I've had 
we've had customers that are stuck at home. Hey, can Nick bring me up a pizza? I can't get out of the house or, you know, or they'll call down, Hey, do you have a gallon of milk I can buy from you? Or do you have some eggs or, you know, just, it's one of those towns. Like everybody is willing to help everybody pretty mm-hmm. much. I mean, so, we have so, a it sounds, so it sounds like you're the, the bar slash restaurant, the convenience store, the coffee <laughs> shop. Um, well, she does. She serves the, coffee in the morning. The, yeah. Too. The grocery uh-huh. store. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because there isn't you you definitely qualify as a food desert this yeah. area yeah. Right. because you have to drive yeah. quite a ways to get to. I wish there was more area for us to add on. Honestly, just mm-hmm. it would be able it would be nice to be able to keep milk and bread just extra little staples here for people because I mean I've had even girls call, hey, do you have any Doritos? Because I'm making walking tacos at home. I'm like, oh Lord Jesus, yeah, come on down. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I love it. When I so. When I had to do the town reports for the newspaper for three years, um, the garrison was my favorite to cover. So every six weeks. And I can remember um, my former editor being like, why do you like going over there so much? What on earth is there even to write about every six weeks? I was like, you would be surprised yeah. the things that go on. And everybody here was always so nice and welcoming and you know wanted to tell me about the town and what was going on. Right, so, right. Yeah. Yes. It's good. It's quiet. I love our farmers. I love our townspeople. They've gotten us this far, so. Exactly. Which is great. So for 2021, what do you hope happens? Oh, geez. Uh, To become a billionaire out of the mouth of an 11-year-old. Yes. (laughs) Yes. He's genius. I agree. Yes. Uh, Can we all become billionaires? Will you share with us your money, you rich little <laughs> child? <laughs> um, just to kind of get things back to the way they were. Like we were on a really, really good path mm-hmm. and then COVID hit. Um, just hopefully getting our numbers up, getting everything back to normal, whatever normal is going to be this year. Hopefully nothing too crazy. Mm-hmm. I think I think with the vaccine coming out, maybe people won't be so scared. Um haven't really decided if I'm going to go that route or not. I'm kind of up in the air. Mm-hmm. Um, but hopefully it's uh, just to get, just trying to get back on the path that we were doing better. Numbers were, numbers were really good for us. For those four months, five months before COVID. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I will think, I just thought about this, but the fact that you have been, you know, such a good example of doing the right thing, you know, as a small business owner, a bar, you know, we need to wear the masks. You need to help me help you. Um, you're setting a really good example um, when there's really nobody else doing it in a lot right, of places. Right. Um, that is a benefit to your community, especially in rural areas where public health is not you know, front and center because they can't be. Right, right. And I, you know, I even have, I've got some customers that call in for their daily to-goes and they're still not comfortable coming in, which is fine. And mm-hmm. they'll just call and I'll run it out to their vehicle. I get it. Especially older people. You know, yes. a lot of my farmers are older or mm-hmm. they have a spouse in the nursing home, even though they can't see them. They just, you know, they don't want to spread it to anybody either. So that's, and that's been my big thing is it's not so much me getting COVID or it's been my customers. I would feel so bad if, one of my older people got it from me, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's just been more of let's focus on doing the right thing. Like, you know, I keep reading all these articles. Well, I actually was reading one a little bit ago where a couple claim, well, they died from COVID Mm -hmm. and they're claiming they got it from their hairdresser. 
when they both went to get haircuts. And I'm like, how can you blame where you got it from? Because right now nobody, you know, unless that's the only place you went. Yeah. Straight to and from. Like, there's no really pointing any fingers no. at anybody right now because mm-hmm. it's all over the place. Yes. So. And I think that did happen because we just had a breakdown in leadership. And so now we're all pointing fingers. Yeah. Which is yeah. not a good way to live. Yeah. No. Yeah. And I, you know, the kids went back to school in the fall. And I, and I don't understand they were pretty much the first ones to get pulled from school, mm-hmm. you know. And so I felt like throwing the kids back into school when they're the, our little germ spreaders. Um, but, you know, you think all their parents work in all these different places, and then they're bringing in everything their parents are carrying, and that's generally kids don't get everything. They just spread it. Mm-hmm. Your little germ I'm smart spreader. About <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he has a mask on right now. I remember, too. So my mom was a single mom and raised me in a beauty salon, basically. So she was always working. Um, and when they canceled school and took the kids out of school and then there for a couple of weeks, like, shut the economy down, my mom was like, what? You know, this hasn't happened in my lifetime. What do you mean I can't go out and go into my shop and go to work? Mm-hmm. Right. She was just beside herself. Like, they're telling us we can't go to work? What? Mm-hmm. <laughs> And they could, that would have been a lot easier on people if, I mean, I know CARES Act, the, it helped, but like we were talking about with this next round, $600 is nothing. Right. Like, I mean, that would not, that wouldn't even pay half your lease or would it pay maybe half? Half. Half. Half would, yep. Yep. And I used, and that's what I used my last stimulus check for, was for paying my lease. Mm-hmm. And I used it to help keep afloat down here. At that point, I was pretty much, you know, out of my own savings, so we just did what we had to do. I just mm-hmm. pulled everything, you know, I just every which way. Yep. Here's where money's coming from. Everybody now who who didn't have to live paycheck to paycheck before, I think a lot of those people get what it's like. Oh, yeah. And hope they realize how important that safety net is. Oh, yeah. I tell my spouse all the time that that safety net, you know, we pay taxes, we fund that because it could be us. Yeah, you know, someday, exactly. like you exactly. never know. So, and you want that there. You want to keep the bottom healthy because yeah. you could be at the bottom at yeah. any time. Absolutely, absolutely. So your bar, the Hitchin Post, is known at least in our little Benton County community for having one of the greatest back bars ever. Um, I don't even know how to describe the way it looks. Do you want to describe it? It looks old and it's got character. <laughs> oh, that's a good. Yes, it's like dark wood. I don't. Do you know? I don't know what kind of. Wood I mean, it's it sort is, of the antithesis of modern. It's true. Right? So the story is that it came from a speakeasy in, in Chicago. Chicago, and it came over on the train, mm-hmm. and they picked it up in like Dubuque, and then they brought it here for the bar specifically. For the bar specifically. So back when the prohibition was going on, you know, and. A lot of people had speakeasies in their basements of their houses because right. mm-hmm. they didn't have bars. And supposedly that's where it came out of oh. somebody's basement. Oh, that but is very cool. Yeah, everybody comments on it. Everybody it just needs to come see it. They do. I agree. Come to Garrison, to the Hitchin Post, and see one of the greatest back bars in Iowa. Because uh, we have been told now multiple times that if you took it to Colorado, you could sell it for a lot of money. <laughs> apparently to bars out there but don't don't do that don't do that don't do that because <laughs> it is really cool I like coming here and just looking at it I will be very excited to just come here again in six months nine months 
and just walk in and things will be normal, hopefully. Well, let's hope. It's never good to have one party in charge. So, you know, we have Biden. And we just need them to get to, we just need the, we just need them to get along and understand it's not about them, it's about us. Yes. Mm -hmm. Like stop fighting over things that particularly don't really affect you because mm -hmm. you're still getting your $200,000 a year check. And right. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be lucky if I get to pay myself a thousand dollars this year. You know what I'm exactly. saying? Exactly. Like, and they have their health care already paid for. Yeah. And yes, exactly. I do think that happens to a lot of politicians is if they understood it before they got elected, they just are in there so long that they forget what it's like to just be an everyday person out here. Yeah. Trying yeah. to make it. Well, thank you. Thank you. To all three of you. In our next segment, we return to a conversation from our first episode with our not a pundit, Darvin. Stop obsessing about the caucus. So yeah. I don't know if you could talk about that. I would love to know what you think <laughs> about the caucus yeah. and role in our party. Yeah, I, I am, you know, I chaired a, a precinct uh, here in Toledo. Um, very different than chairing something, a, a precinct in Des Moines or Cedar Rapids. So, I mean, that's a whole other experience. And I, I don't have a, a huge history with the caucus. I, I went to, to college in Ohio and came back in 2012 and went to my first caucus in 20, 2018, 2016. I, I can't, no, 2016. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so I, I don't have, you know, there's people that have long storied histories and, and all those things um, that have served for, for a long, long time. I, I And so I, I, I am uh, hesitant to sort of, speak out and call out things or, or whatever. But, it, you know, if I'm just speaking from, from my honest viewpoint or my honest truth, I guess, I just don't see reason that, that the caucus as a, as an institution needs to continue here. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I read, you, you read a lot of, I don't, I don't honestly hear too, too many, you know, upper level voices in the democratic party in Iowa really calling for, for the caucus to go away. And, mm -hmm. and I think there's a lot of fear that what will happen if, if it does go away, I think that's fair. But from my experience, I found it, the county parties, and that's, that's what the caucus needs to be able to run volunteers at the county level to staff every single precinct. And I remember, you know, six months to a year out from the, from the caucus, looking at team County and looking at the people in the room that would show up every month and thinking, who are these people? Where are these people? We don't, and going through the list of the past chairs from the last cycle and seeing that some of those names had passed away, some of them had moved out of the county, some of them had left the Democratic Party altogether, and thinking, how are we ever going to do this? And, and we somehow did. I mean, I think we had maybe three or four out of our dozen precincts in, in rural Tama County staffed by non county member, you know, non county residents. So, I mean, we, we were able to find those individuals, but it was a enormous undertaking to just organize that primary process. And I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure it was the same in Benton County and a lot of different places, but once the caucus got over, none of us felt like doing a darn thing. Like, I mean, we were stretched as far as it could go in terms of our the time and energy that we had all been giving um, to, to help and organize things. Nobody, I think, after that experience was, was kind of ready to like 
pick up the next baton and and head off into uh, the spring, you know, and for you guys, you know, with a campaign to run, that was a, I'm sure that was a tall order for, uh, for those kind of working in the county level, working through caucus time, and then having to go, you know, really start leaning into their, into their state races and, and things like that. Um, I think what you ended up having to do, Darvin, and in so many counties, I'm sure it was exactly the same way. You had to you had to rebuild your damn party right before the caucus. Sure. There was nothing fleshed out. And no. if we had had precincts fleshed out and we'd had year-round organizing and people felt proud to be a Democrat, you know, in this state, that then running a caucus would not be that much, you know, it wouldn't be that difficult because you already have a foundation laid. Instead, I think we went the wrong way. We depended on the caucus to be our party when instead the caucus should have been something our party then did because we already had a structure. We were a party. You know, we went from the top of the ballot to the bottom of the ballot in terms of, you know, how we recruited. And so then the prize was we get to then run the first in the nation caucus because we're a party and, you know, we deserve it. Instead, I think we just thought, well, we're entitled to having the caucus and that's the only thing that matters. And the people that live here all year round huh, just got forgotten. Like you forget that you have to have people run for your city council, your school, oh, yeah. your house races, right. your county auditors. Like all we cared about to me was if you're a Democrat in Iowa, oh, well, then you're part of the caucus. You go to caucus. But I, exactly. I, I think you're right. I think there are not a lot of people that are saying anything about wanting to do away with the caucus um, I don't know if they're afraid of doing so. Um, I think they are. I'm sure they're afraid. Change mm-hmm. is hard, especially when you're an Iowan. Yeah. Um, I don't particularly think we like change necessarily. No. It makes us uncomfortable. And losing the caucus is our identity. What do we have? Right. Well, for 50 years, it's been our our identity, being first in the nation. And having, um, I, I am one of those people who is definitely open to change, Um this past February was the very first caucus that I ever attended, in part because I've spent most of my adult life in other states, but also I got involved with Kamala's campaign and ended up caucusing for Joe Biden in my precinct. But I didn't really even want to go to the caucus um, and certainly was not very excited about potentially having to chair a caucus, um, in part because I had never been to one before. And so everything was new, but, you know, I also think about Ruby, you and I spent how much time knocking doors uh, last fall for Kamala. And I'm, I know you heard this and I can't tell you how many times I heard, you know, I would knock on a door and the person said, oh, I'm not going to caucus or I'm never going to do that again. I, you know, I went last time and I just, I won't do that again. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, having been through it, I definitely get that because frankly, I would just prefer to be able to go and vote in a primary. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't know that there's a lot of talk about Iowa s- switching to a primary and still being one of the first states. Uh, it's sort of like, well, if, you know, if we lose the caucus, we're going to have a primary that'll be in June or something like that. And we can't have that because we're supposed to be first, right? 
as a candidate who tried to run here on what I said, scorched earth, there was nothing here. There was nothing to build off of. We had to completely rebuild the party in many of our precincts and were unsuccessful because you're trying to run a campaign. How are you supposed to build a party at the same time? Um, I just think like Darvin said, and I'm sorry, I keep saying that, but it's so true. And I didn't think that before this conversation, it doesn't matter who our chair is. They just need to do the work Mm -hmm. and be willing to do the work. And if you are not running for chair to be a superstar or become some big name in the next caucus, you need to be committed to Iowa and the Iowa brand. And what the hell is the Iowa brand? You have to come up with that now because we have nothing. I really do feel like our party has nothing right now. I agree. And also what does the party mean for, like you said, those county auditors and, and, county supervisors, city council members that are not even party elections. Mm-hmm. But why can't we be a party for those Democrats before we're a party for the national primary every four years in the yes. caucus process? You know, mm-hmm. that I, I just don't think that I'm sure there was a time that that did really serve Iowa to have that kind of national attention to kind of be the tide that lifted the boats in, in this state. I did not see that happen this year. And I mean, you can see the the results of the primary um, did not mirror even close to what happened in, in the national election or in the national primary, you know, Biden finished fourth in Iowa. But meanwhile, we are, we're not only failing to gain majorities in any of our, you know, state government positions, we're, we're losing, you know, we're, we, we, Everybody that I talked to um, leading up to November was real confident that we were going to pull down some some additional seats in the Iowa House. And to mm-hmm. see that happen in reverse and to yeah. lose some of those seats right. was, a. I mean, I, everybody saw that. And I think that impacted a lot of people. Um, but I think that that really illustrates the the need to kind of rethink what what are we even doing here? Um, as it pertains to to caucus time and in our kind of the amount of time and energy we put towards the um, to that process. I think I Ruby, I know that you've mentioned um, is it Jane Kleb? Is that the uh, the author from Nebraska? Yeah, Jane Kleb. Yes. I'm sorry. Uh, Jane, yeah, you've mentioned her book. I I did get to read that or uh, listen to it on Audible uh, not that long ago. And I, some of the things that I found interesting on there was how the kind of funding from the national parties or the national, the funding from the national party really impacted states in terms of the actual dollars that they were receiving every single month. And so I think that really has to play into it is we don't even know what the state party is working with in terms of resources. Mm-hmm. So we could say the state party needs to do this and the state party is responsible and, and guilty of doing XYZ, but if they don't have the funds and the resources to put enough staff on the ground to cover every, you know, all 99 counties, mm-hmm. then that's kind of, you know, that's also the cart before the horse a little bit as well. So I think, I think some consideration needs to get paid towards how much, uh, what the resources are that we have to work with in terms of hiring and, and staffing people for the, the state party. Um, and to, to, to learn from Jane's book about how uh, during the, the Howard Dean years and how much 
money was going to to state parties from from the DNC each year uh, to where it is now. Um, I can't recall. I don't have the numbers off the top of my head, but uh, a substantial um, decline there was just staggering. And of, and of course, of course, things are kind of uh, lean and and, and mm-hmm. difficult right now. So I think that's a part of it. And I agree with you, like because Warren. So Warren Varley, our friend who ran for House two years yeah. ago and then Senate yeah. state this year out towards kind of the western part of the state, but had said, you know, you've seen if you've seen, you know, where the Truman Fund is operating, where they're operating out of in Des Moines, mm-hmm. it's like an old, I mean, it looks like an old Hardee's. I mean, oh, not we, we're not rolling in the money, right? No. When I get that. But I also think that as a party, um, it doesn't take a whole lot for people to start investing in people, you know, as a party and to come up with what do we even stand for? Because right now, I mean, I think if you ask a lot of Iowans to tell you about the Democratic Party, it's like um, uh, they caucus. Um, they don't represent farmers. Uh, Nancy Pelosi is terrible. And right. they're socialists like we don't even define ourselves like we we have let the national movements define us, which was ridiculous. We never should have done that. And a lot of it is because we're a rural state and we ceded our rural lands and pissed a lot of people off who just decided, well, I can't fit into that party, that party, even if they don't even know exactly what the Republican candidates stand for. I think a lot of people in rural areas are just like, well, I don't belong in the Democratic Party. They, even if they, they probably benefit from our policies and um, the things that we have championed through the years. And they probably have democratic values, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but because we allowed the other side to define us, we drew um, less and less people to our party. I sometimes wonder myself, like what, what, what is an Iowa Democrat? (laughs) Yeah. They used to run the caucus really well, according to my dad. If you look, uh, you know, if we we have the fortune of having our newspaper archives right in our office, and you know, we can we can really uh, have a, a direct connection to to our history in Tama County with the news that was written and the photos that were taken um, mm-hmm. from you know 100 years on back. And what was re- what's always really striking to me when I look at our newspaper archive books 30, 50 years ago is how you look at the Tama, Tama County Democrats, just look, just eye test to look at those, look at those folks, kind of see what was going on. And that does not look like the Democratic Party anymore. I mean, it was, those were well-dressed, um, well-dressed white folks that were, you know, kind of running a, a well-run organization. So I think, I just think things have changed. Our, you know, the the, the country has changed. The um, the economic reality has changed. The the farm crisis, as we know, had uh, an, an everlasting impact on and places and on, on you know places like Tama County and throughout the state of Iowa, and reshaped and completely re remolded a lot of our a lot of our communities. And um, and so I just I think it's interesting to 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 see even. 30, 40 years ago, how different things look than they do now. And that's the biggest thing that I've gotten out of Jane's book is that, you know, her, her concept of the little guy, 
that we forgot about the little guy and that the little guy lost his grocery store, Mm -hmm. his school, his job, his good paying job, you know, his farm. And where did the Democratic Party go? I mean, for all those years, we should have been a champion of the little guy, you know, not just about well-fund education, but, but for the little guy, it's more like, I want my kid to get on a bus and go to a neighborhood school. And when all those schools started getting closing down, even if it was what was best for Iowa, we should have been there with those people, you know, and when farmers were losing their farms, we should have been there and we weren't there. I don't know what our party exactly was doing, but I feel like we were, we were paying too much attention to other things. And I do think that the caucus had to have been a distraction in the years that our party eroded in its power. It, it just had to have been a distraction. And the fact that, like you said, it's the same five people that are running county parties. So if a new person tries to come in, you know, they're instantly, even if it's not on purpose, it's like going to a Lutheran church that you've never been to before. I'm sure everybody in there is a lovely person, but they make you feel like garbage, even if you're a Lutheran. Because right. You're Everyone noticed, notices <laughs> that you're new, but nobody uh-huh. bothers to come up to you and say, yep. Welcome. What's your name? I'm we such do. and such. Yes. And, and we would do well to um, to to uh, remember that it is hard to be the new person. But if we don't bring new people in, we are going to die as a party. We have got to bring in new people. And that was one of the reasons why I really wanted that progressive young progressives to work out. I just thought then maybe, you know, it could feed into something else because a lot of people in our county come back. I don't know how that is in Tama, but in Benton County, a lot of people do leave and then come back. They marry their high school sweetheart or they marry somebody they went to school with here. And then they come back. Um, More and more that's not happening, but it'd be nice if when they came back, if they felt that they belonged to a strong, you know, democratic party um, in another state that then they could just kind of walk into the party here, you know, at the local Mexican restaurant where we seem to always meet. Right. And feel at home because, you know, the Democratic Party should still stand for the same values, no matter what state you're in. But yeah. you come yeah, back to should. Iowa and you're like, what the hell? What happened to this party? <laughs> it's right. not the party. And it for me, it was not, I mean, Wisconsin went down a bad, dark path and they pulled themselves out. But I mean, I grew up in the Democratic Party in Wisconsin because my dad was involved in it. And um, when I moved to Iowa, even, you know, in the early 2000s, I remember trying to be involved and it just, it was, it was not something that I could be a part of because I had young children and caucus was impossible. I mean, I took my four-year-old to caucus this past year and it was terrible. I mean, I was trying to run, I was trying to be, I was part of the, you know, running the caucus and I was also a Bernie captain and, and all my Bernie people kept leaving and (laughs) my little group, but we were viable. But I had to work my ass off to be viable while watching a four-year-old and having a daughter and a husband there who had never been to caucus before and looking at me like, this is awful. What I want to leave. Like, I can't handle this. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, caucus was a disaster to me this year. And I know a lot of people are like, well, it really didn't go all that bad. But if you have small children or you've never caucused before or you're nervous or you're trying to run the caucus, it is hard. So Absolutely. I would love to just be able to vote, right. rank choice, vote, I don't know, something. But I won't, and I don't know if that makes me sound like, well, you're not very Iowan then if you won't miss the caucus. Well, I'm sure it's sad to lose that history. 
I was going to say, how many people here in Iowa even participate in the caucus? Right. The percentage is not it's not it's not, a, it it's not a very inclusive no. or democratic process no and i think the maybe the healthy way to, to look at it is not that we're just gonna strangle this thing and and be left with a a carcass uh, <laughs> of of nothing you know mm-hmm. no we're not doing that the what caucus we're doing carcass. yeah right there you go <laughs> the caucus carcass oh right. my gosh what we're doing is we are consciously adjusting our time, energy, efforts, money, resources in a different direction. And we have to look towards that direction. And I think as we've discussed, that needs to be candidates down the ballot. That needs to be races um, in, you know, in, in all shapes and sizes from city county up to, to state legislature. Mm-hmm. And I think if you can look at it that way, that's that's an active decision that's that's us growing and us kind of moving to something rather than just cutting cutting the caucus and and uh being left kind of grieving that loss forever because that's not that's not where we want to be we want to be moving forward Mm -hmm. and i think really in terms of trying to bring people in what is needed and what people want is people want the opportunity and i've seen this I've seen this completely outside of political organizations. You see this in volunteer organizations all the time. If you're if you're serving on any of those boards or you're one of those participants that that joins in and gets invited to be a, a member of something, you want your time there and your effort there to be for something, to have some sort of meaning. Um, you want to contribute and and feel like feel like you're being seen, feel like you're being heard, feel like what you're doing, what you're giving matters and means something at a time when it can feel like a lot of things don't, you know, the, it can get into this like real existential, um, what is the meaning of life kind of territory right now with, with COVID and everything so uh, remote and, and distanced. Um, I think the value of, of having activities, having initiatives that are not just um, forming a platform committee or uh, having a meeting to, uh, to, to plan your, uh, your next caucus or convention or whatever, um, to have activities and, and things for people to be a part of outside of those procedural elements. Um, those are the things that are going to get people to show up and to like give of themselves when you have to make a harder ask and, and ask them to, you know, volunteer for something that that is difficult mm-hmm. need uh, something to anchor them to that space exactly and that has to be emotional that has to be something a little more mm-hmm. that has to be deeper you know yes. than than just than just what people see on cnn and they're like we what if we found out nothing from the last four years is that you cannot just count on how somebody feels about donald trump and the hate that they feel towards mm-hmm. his actions and and mm-hmm. some of the things uh, that that come out and you see on CNN or whatever, that's not enough. That that's not enough to to just move people to action and move people to like do something different. It, it wasn't enough this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it 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 had some effect, but it's got to be more. It's got to be uh, 
something you know more interpersonal than than just like well we all can't stand donald trump so we must all like be on the same page about what we're going to do this next year as a as a county party or as a group mm-hmm. right there's got to be that motivation there right something has got to weave all of this back together and it's going to have to be the rebuilding of our party at the state you know level yeah that, that your space your life it all matters and part of that is you're a democrat and that means something it stands for something and you're i think that's so true you you need a reason for why are you a democrat well because yeah. look look what i do you know in my community as a democrat look what the the democratic members of my city council you know they may be nonpartisan but they're you know they're doing good work and they happen yep. to be a democrat so I think that ends this on a really good note, actually. That makes me very hopeful, Darwin, that we can do this. <laughs> well, I, <laughs> I hope so, too. I really do. You know, I, I think a strong Democratic Party means good things for, for people on the ground. It means mm-hmm. good things for for voters and for people um, kind of living on the, the edge of um, – of things financially and, and, and socially in our, in our communities. I, I don't think that, I think that's going to be difficult. I think change is hard. Like you said, I think there are uh, individuals, you know, kind of in places of power that um, are going to be resistant to change. If you're going to try and take something away from somebody or, or to fundamentally restructure how things are done that's that's going to be met with resistance that's no doubt because that's that's just a power thing but i sure hope that that we can move the needle i sure hope that we can take some steps in the right direction this year yeah that that's just my hope and we thank you the listener as well for tuning in let us know what you thought about this episode or to suggest people or places for a future episode you can email us at podcast at we live here us. connect with us on social media at we live here pod or visit our website we live here us.